Well, good evening, New Song Church. Welcome to Saturday Night Service. It's so good to see you tonight. How's everybody doing? Good. I hope you had a good 4th of July weekend. I'm glad you're here. You didn't blow yourself up, so that's always a good thing. And uh, I hope that you're a lot like excited about tonight, excited about church. We got some really cool stuff going on. After service tonight, we're going to be baptizing some people. And uh, we've got hot dogs, snow cones. We want you to grab some of that stuff and then join us out here. You can kind of see our little pool over there. We're going to be baptizing about 10 people. I'm excited because I get to baptize my youngest tonight. Little Sonny June is getting baptized tonight. So stick around. Yeah, stick around, get some food, and then come out. And what we want to do is we want to kind of create a, a party atmosphere. We want to celebrate these people who are going public with their, uh, their walk with God. They're declaring tonight that they're on God's team and they're letting everybody know about it. So uh, maybe you're here tonight and you've never been water baptized before or maybe you got water baptized when you were a kid and you don't really remember it and, uh, and you'd like to be water baptized. We'd love to do that with you tonight. So Josh Romano's right here talking to his wife. He's paying attention though now. And uh, if you'll go see him, he'll be out in the lobby after the service is over, and he's got a shirt for you if you want to get baptized, and we'll baptize you tonight. We'd love to do that. And, uh, and even if, you're, if you want to baptize one of your children tonight, you can do that. Um, so come out there, join us. It's going to be really good. If you have your Bible, turn me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, we're beginning a brand new series tonight called Lost Art, and what we're talking about and what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks is some of the things in our life that are becoming lost art in the world around us, like those things that we maybe should be doing that we're not doing, or maybe things that we're doing, but we're not doing them in a biblical way, and, and we really need to kind of refocus on some of these things. And so the uh, definition of a lost art is it's something that usually requires some skill or effort that many people don't do anymore. And the reason why we don't do some of this stuff is because it's not always easy uh, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's not fun, but it's, it's good stuff that we need to be we're reviving as Christians in our life, stuff that needs to be a part of who we are, stuff we need to understand if we're going to be who God's called us to be. So uh, we're going to talk over the next several weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about the lost art of honor, what honor looks like, who we honor, how we honor people, how we honor God, what that, what that kind of looks like. Uh, we're going to talk about the lost art of integrity. We're going to talk about the lost art of confrontation, and uh, that's going to be a really good one. How many of you need to confront some people in your life, but not be a jerk? We're not going to talk about being a jerk. We're going to talk about how to do it in a loving way and restore relationship that maybe needs to be restored or to move on past that relationship, whatever that may be. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the lost art of endurance. Everybody say endurance. endurance. Say it like you mean it. Endurance. endurance. Now, endurance is maybe not one of those things that's like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Like, endurance, in the world we live in today, you may have thought I just cussed if you're a little bit younger in the room, but I didn't, okay? Endurance is not a cuss word. It's actually something that if you're going to be who God's called you to be, you have got to come to grips with the fact that you're going to have to endure some stuff. Endurance is a big deal. And yet, we live in a world today where this is becoming a lost art. Uh, in fact, me and Sarah were talking earlier this week about endurance and really talking about like our kids and the world that our kids are being raised in. And we were kind of going, man, our kids don't have to endure very much. Like it's hard to think of stuff that they're really having to endure. And, and part of it is because we're creating a world today 
that is so focused on uh, meeting our needs and doing it quickly and like serving ourselves with technology and stuff that that endurance is kind of going away. Like I was just thinking, we were thinking about like the, the world that we grew up in as children. How many of you have young kids and you've wondered before, like, why don't my kids like to play outside like I did? Like when I was a kid, I would wake up in the morning on, in the summer and I would put on some shorts and I would put on a baseball cap. Sometimes I'd wear a shirt, not very often. Sometimes I'd wear shoes. It would depend on if I was playing tackle football in the street or not that day. I don't know. But, but I would go out and I would be gone all day. And it wasn't like my parents had to push me out the door. Really, they had to try to pull me back in. Like I didn't want to come home for lunch. I would stay outside till, till the sun went down, till the streetlights came on. That was just how it was. And I was thinking like, why was it that way? Like what, what's the deal? I think one of the reasons why parents, here it is, we didn't have options like our kids do today. Like they, our kids have so many options today. Like when I was a kid, we had cable. So we had like, you know, 30 channels. 30 stinking channels and the Disney channel, the Disney channel, right? But man, TV was different in the summer. There was, you had 30 channels, but there was nothing on. It was like chips episodes <laughs> that were reruns from the seventies. I'm just like, what is this? Or Perry Mason, black and white TV. When you're a kid, black and white is of the devil, right? <laughs> you want nothing to do with that. Uh, or, or infomercials or soap operas were on, stuff like that. And so you, you had no choice but to go outside. Like I go over to the Disney Channel and they had like nature shows because they didn't have all the programming they have. It was like nature shows or Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's a great movie, kind of, but you know, you can only watch it so many times, right? So we went outside and we played outside. That's what we did. But today, man, kids, they have it so different. Like they've got on-demand TV, on-demand movies. You can watch anything you want in your house at any time. On-demand video games. They can download any game. I had four NES cartridges to choose from. That's all I had. Then I'd play them and that was it. You'd move on. So, so I think we're, we, we've created this world where we have so many options for our kids. And, and all of this is about making, you know, we, we do all this because we want to create this world and, and we're as guilty as anybody of it, but we want to create this world where everything is right there and it's easy and it's available. And before you start looking down, too down on your, on your children, like we've done it too, no matter where you are. Like we, there was a point when somebody was like, you know, I want food, but I don't want to have to cook. So fast food was invented. And then there was a point when someone said, I want that fast food, but I don't want to have to get out of my car. So we invented the drive-through. And then there was a point when someone said, I don't even want to have to get in my car. I just want to stay right here in my house. And so the delivery was invented. And now we have Postmates and Uber Eats and you can get anything you want delivered to your home. We did it last night. This is, this is the reality of the world that we live in today. When, when I was a kid, I, I remember like you'd have stuff like music, like talk about music. We had music, like, there was no Spotify, Pandora, iTunes music, no, no, no. You had to go get a tape, right? A cassette tape, Vanilla Ice cassette tape. You had to buy the whole album just to get Ice Ice Baby. The one good song. The rest of the album was trash, but you wanted that one, and then you'd buy it and you'd take it home, and when it was over, you had to do this terrible thing where you'd have to push rewind on that sucker. Or fast forward, if you didn't cue it just right. Anybody relate to this, children of the 80s? 
Some of you, like my dad, they, what did you guys, what was it called? The A-track. You couldn't even rewind it. You had to play through the whole album just to hear the song again. Like, what is that? Or remember, like, you wanted to hear that song and you didn't have any money. So what would you do? You'd sit by the radio with your little blank tape and you'd sit there and you'd listen to the radio and then wait for that DJ to start playing your song and you'd hit record and play. And then it would be like, it wasn't Ice Ice Baby, it was Pour Some Sugar On Me. So you'd have to roll it back and wait again. But eventually, you'd time it just right and you'd have your jam and that's actually called a mixtape, young, young people. It was a mixtape. It was awesome. But we live in a different world today. We text today because we don't like talking to people, but we want to talk to people. We just don't want to talk to people, right? So we text them. We send them a little text. And if they call you, man, that ticks you off, doesn't it? Listen, I love you older people in the room. I'm talking to my dad and Brandon, I see you. You text these, some of these older people, you text them and they call you and you're like, don't call me. I sent you a text. This is not proper etiquette. Or they, take, they start texting you back and you're watching it. You see the little bubble popping up and it's moving and so you know it's coming. Because when you text somebody, you want a response, right? And so the bubble pops up and it's like, okay, here it comes. And then the bubble goes away and they didn't text you. And you're waiting, like, what's the deal? They were responding, and they stopped. What the heck? What's going on? Right? You guys, some of you know what I'm talking about. This is the world we live in today. This is the world that we're creating for our children. And, and, and listen, I'm not, a down, I'm not down on technology. I'm not that guy. I use, I text, I, I use a lot of these things I'm talking about today. I like these things, but... But the problem is this. The problem is we're, we're, we're removing some of the endurance that's necessary, and we're starting to see the world through the different lens that's not necessarily the right lens. I could, what really got me started in this message was a, a few months back, I was reading this article, and it was talking about video games and how uh, the difference between video games like today versus video games when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you'd, get, you'd go buy a video game like like Mario Brothers, it may take you three years to beat it because you got to kind of learn and you didn't have all the internet where you could find all the codes and the ways to beat the game and cheat and kind of stuff like that. Or you'd buy a game like Mega Man. Anybody remember Mega Man, 80s kids? Mega Man was like so hard. I never beat that game. Or Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Never beat that game. I got to my Iron Mike and I could not beat him. And there were rumors it could be, he could be beaten, but I never did it. There was like the kid that lived like three, na- three neighborhoods over. Billy, he beat him. And you're like, no, he didn't. And then you finally meet Billy, and he's over at your house, and you're like, dude, show me how you do it. And he's like, oh, I can't do it today. Yeah, I bet you can't do it today, because you've never done it. <laughs> I, uh, actually, this week, <laughs> I was thinking about this, because I've wanted to see Mike Tyson get beat in this game since I was a kid. So I got on YouTube, because we live in a different world today. And actually saw a guy beat Mike Tyson's punch out. He did it with six punches. It's going to be a lot of guys that are watching that after church today. Don't do it now, but, but it was pretty awesome. But my point is this, like it took endurance. And what, what this, this article was talking about is how games back then were made and they made them hard and they made them hard on purpose. 
And they, they developed them in such a way where you had to learn things as you played the game. And you'd beat this level on Mario, and it would prepare you for a level coming up where you'd have to use some of the same strategy to beat that next level, only it was going to be a little bit more difficult. And if you jumped ahead without beating that level, you wouldn't be able to beat the level later on. And, and the whole point was like helping you to, when you accomplish beating this game, to feel like you really did something. But today, the goal of these game manufacturers is really all about money. They don't make the games as hard as they once did. They don't make them as difficult. They, they, they let out secrets into, into the culture because they want people to beat these games because really what they want you to do is they want you to have the satisfaction of having beat the game, but they also want you to then get the next title and spend money on it so they have more money in their pockets. And so this is the world we live in. And endurance is being kind of thrown away. It's becoming a lost art form and, and the danger in this is we start to filter because we, we live in a world where it's all about like our comfort and our satisfaction and we're kind of the king of our own little world. We start to filter our life and our future and even God through the same perspective. And it creates a couple of a dangerous precedents that I think we're seeing today in the world today. One is this, we're seeing a world today where uh, we've created a culture of quitters because we grow up this way. If something's hard, I'll just move on to the next thing. That game's too hard, I'll play this one now. That thing's too hard, I'll do this. If, if it's tough, we'll just kind of move on to the next thing. And so this culture of quitters is, is growing up and they're, they're taking that same mentality and they're moving it into adulthood. And so we're quitting on marriages because it got hard. Marriage is hard. Like, I'll just quit, do something else, find someone else to marry. Or, or following God is hard. Like, I'll meet people that come to the church, and they'll tell me out in the lobby, man, we, we feel like God has called us to this church. And six months later, they're gone. So I guess God changed his mind. Or <laughs> God's a little schizo sometimes, so he must have. <laughs> no, right? Like, that's not how it works. But what probably happened is I got up here and challenged them a little bit with the Word of God because the Word of God's going to challenge you from time to time. And they didn't like that, and so the easier thing was just to bail. Just kind of quit and move on to the next thing. Move on to the next church. Hopefully, they'll be a little bit more my taste. They'll make me feel a little bit better about myself. we got a culture of quitters. And, and listen, it's not doing you any good because your dream, if you're going to accomplish what God's called you to accomplish, you can't be a quitter. Your dream is going to take work. It's going to take endurance. It's going to take patience. Right. And if you quit on it, you won't, you won't arrive at it. This is what we're seeing today. The second dangerous thing is, is I think we, see, we have a group of people now, and even ourselves, where we see delays as denials. We see delays as denials. And this gets really dangerous when we start to look at God because we start going, okay, well, I prayed and I asked God to give me this, and he didn't do it, so either... Maybe God's not really good. Or maybe God doesn't really exist. You see how dangerous this can be if we don't learn to recognize how important this endurance stuff is to our life. Listen, if you get nothing else, get this out of tonight's message. The God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is not an on-demand God. He is not an on-demand God. And nowhere in, from Genesis to Revelations are you, are you going to see in the Bible this, this precedent that you're going to step into your destiny overnight. The Bible, yes, the Bible is full of a lot of suddenlies. 
where people stepped into, like suddenly something happened. But most of the time, if you, if you look at those suddenlies, what you're going to find is, is before that suddenly took place, before the suddenly moment, there were years that led up to the suddenly. I mean, just go through different Bible characters. Take Joseph, for example. Okay, here's a true statement about Joseph. One day, one day, Joseph woke up in a prison cell. And that night, he went to sleep in a palace as the second most powerful man in the most powerful kingdom on the planet. That was one day. That was a suddenly day. But if you know the story of Joseph, you know that a lot led up. There were 13 years that led up to him stepping into God's dream for his life and having his suddenly moment. And here's the thing. Had he not experienced those 13 years and endured those 13 years, he would have never had his suddenly moment. And here's the other thing. If he would have experienced his suddenly moment when he first had the dream, he would never have been able to handle it. So, so maybe tonight, maybe God's got you in a season where he's doing some stuff. You're, you're beating some levels right now in the game of life. And he's preparing you and he's showing you some stuff because he has a suddenly moment. I believe God's got a suddenly moment for every person in this room. But if you bail, if you quit, if you don't endure, you'll never experience your suddenly. You gotta be willing to stick it out. You gotta be willing to endure. Okay, so here's Hebrews chapter six, starting verse 10. It says this, for God is not evil that, that he would disregard your works and your love which you have shown in his name. In other words, God sees what you're doing. He sees the work that you're doing. He sees the obedience that you're walking in. He sees that. Goes on to say this, verse 11, but we desire that each one of you have diligence. Everybody say diligence. Diligence, diligence just means a don't quit attitude, an attitude that's gonna endure. You're gonna endure what's going on that we'd have diligence for the perfection of your hope until the end. Verse 12, and that you should not lose heart, but that you would be imitators of those who by faith and patience, everybody say patience. patience. Through faith and patience have become heirs of the promise. Another translation says it like this, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Okay, so this verse tells us that faith is not enough to inherit the promise. Now, faith is important. I am not downplaying faith. Faith is a big deal. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when it says that, it doesn't mean that God is impossible to please. He's not impossible to please. It's impossible for God to do what pleases him, which, listen, is pleasing you. That's what pleases God. You know, it pleases God to bless you to take care of you. Let me show you this. Psalms 35 verse 27, God has pleasure, he's pleased in the prosperity of his children. That's the Bible right there. Let me give you another verse. Luke 12, 32, New Testament. It is your father's good pleasure, it pleases God to give you the kingdom. Okay, so it pleases God for you to be blessed. It pleases God for you to be healthy. It pleases God for your marriage to be good. It pleases God for you to be walking in the destiny that he's called you to. That's pleasing to God. So, but, but listen, without faith, it's impossible for God to experience the pleasure that comes from blessing and pleasing your life, seeing you please in your life. You guys tracking with me? So faith is a big deal. I'm not downplaying faith, but this verse tells us this. It says that, that you're gonna need faith and patience. So, so understand like, 
in order for, for, this is why this is so important, okay? Faith is in the promise. Patience is what you have until the promise is fulfilled in your life. See, I don't need faith after I have the thing. If I'm believing for healing, as soon, I need faith until I get the healing. Once I have the healing, I don't need the faith for healing anymore. But, but there's a time period between sometimes the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, and that's the enduring season where we need patience, where in that season we're saying, God, I still believe you're going to fulfill it, whether I have it right now in my physical hands and I'm experiencing it or not, I still believe that you can and will and have done what you said you would do in your word. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to endure until I see the promise come to pass. That's why these two are so important to each other. If you're going to have the promise, it takes faith and patience. So how do we endure? How do we develop this patience in our life so that we can walk by faith, which is what we're called to do as believers, or to walk in faith, which is trust in God, until we see the promise come to fruition in our life. All right, look at this verse with me, Hebrews chapter 12. This is where we're going to camp out the rest of this message. We actually read this verse last week. We talked about this, this grandstand of, of people in heaven who are cheering us on. You remember that? And how they're cheering us on and we can look to their life. They're, they're the kind of the hall of faith people that we can look to them and grow from them, okay? Same, same set of verses here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, look at this, let us throw off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with, here it is, endurance. Everybody say Endurance. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So this verse tells us that we are in a race. In life, you're in a race. As a Christian, you are in a race, a race that requires endurance. Verse 2, we do this. We do what? We run this race with endurance. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, who for the joy that was set before him Endured. There it is again. We're talking, it's talking about Jesus, what he endured now. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured the cross. Listen, he despised the shame of the cross. The, 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 the cross was painful. The cross hurt. The cross was hard. Aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't quit? Aren't you glad he endured the cross? We have eternal life because he endured the cross. He went through it even though it was hard. He endured the cross, despising the shame. goes on to say this in verse 3. For consider him, or in other words, think about him. Think about what he did. Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Why do we do this? Look at this last part. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is writing to a group of, of Hebrew people, Jewish people, who are being... Uh, treated very poorly. They're being killed. They're being abused. Like things are not going well for them. And he's writing them and telling them, hey, you got to endure. You're going to have to keep fighting. I know it's hard. I know you maybe want to quit. But the example that Jesus set for you is that's not an option. You can't quit. And the metaphor he gives them is this metaphor of a race, a race where you're going to need endurance. Now, how many of you know the, the kind of race that you need endurance for is not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? You don't need endurance for a sprint. You need endurance for a marathon. 
And that's what we're in as Christians. We are in a marathon. You are in a race that is going to last you the rest of your life until either you die or Jesus comes back. You're in a race. And so God wants to help you to to grow in endurance because just like a person who's running a marathon, there's certain muscles that you need to develop. There's a lung capacity that you need to have that's gonna help you to run that race to the finish, that's gonna help you to run it to the end. Spiritually, there's some muscles that we need to develop. There's some lung capacity. It's called endurance that God wants to help us develop. So how do we develop this endurance? Well, this verse gives us two things that we can do that are going to help you develop your endurance so that you can run this race to win. The first thing is, it tells us this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off every weight. Here's number one. You got to throw some stuff off. There's some stuff that you got to throw off. You got to throw some stuff off every weight. Notice it's not, it doesn't say, it doesn't say throw off the weight. It says throw off every weight. In other words, there's going to be more than one. You're probably going to have some different weights that try to get on you. Different circumstances that are going to come against you in life. They're going to try to weigh you down. They're going to try to trip you up. Look at what it goes on to say. The weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, the, the, the word in here for throw off that, that's given to us is the Greek word ap, apotithemi, apotithemi. It means this. It means to lay something down while at the same time pushing it far away beyond your reach. So this is a very intentional thing here. You're laying something down and you are pushing it out of the reach where you can't grab it. You can't take it back up. This is what we're supposed to do. That takes intentionality, doesn't it, to do that. And and notice, it doesn't say God's going to do this. It says that we're to do this. We let this stuff go. Look, Look at it with me. It says, let us throw off every weight. Listen, God will help you with it, but you got to do it. So, so what we need to do is we need to sometimes take a little inventory of our life. We need to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, What's weighing me down? What's tripping me up? Is there some stuff that I need to lay down and that I need to push out of my reach because there's a race to run and I want to run this race to win? The word weight there, the Greek word, it means a burden or something so heavy and cumbersome that it impedes a runner from running his race as he should. So the idea here is endurance. We need some endurance. And, and in order for us to be able to run this race, listen, we think of endurance as just being able to carry all this stuff. No, no, no. God is, is, first of all, telling us, hey, get rid of as much as you can so you can have endurance. Not try to carry the weight of the world. No, throw some stuff off. You're carrying too much. And some of it's on you because you won't lay it down. Throw some of this stuff off. If you're going to run this race to win, you've got to toss some stuff to the side. Now, when this was written, it was written to a, a group of people who would have understood the language here a little bit better than maybe we understand it when we read this. But uh, at the time that this was written in, in the ancient world, uh, people, especially people who were running a marathon, there was a certain way that you trained and you prepared and you ran for a marathon. First of all, if you're a marathon runner, you are going to cut as much weight off of yourself as possible. You want to run that race sleek and light and so you are going to exercise and you are going to diet and you are going to try to trim as much fat off yourself so that you can run with endurance very well and very fast. 
The other thing that you're going to do is you're going to throw off as much uh, outer stuff as possible. In fact, a lot of times these guys would run these races naked, 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 however you say it, (laughs) buck naked. Now listen, Pastor Josh ain't saying show up to the marathon and take all your clothes off. Don't do that. That'll get you arrested. Okay, you don't want that. But, but here's what would happen. These guys would show up for this race and they would have on a robe. And right before the race, they would take off this robe and they would throw it off. And so when the verse says you need to throw that off, people understood exactly what that was talking about. And the idea here is, okay, the, the imagery is I'm gonna run this race with as little on me as possible. And I don't care what anybody else thinks of me because I got a race to run and I wanna win this race. That's the calling of God. So the question is, what's weighing you down? What's tripping you up? Maybe for you, it's a relationship. There's someone in your life. And if you're being really honest, that person's weighing you down. You walk away from that relationship and you you walk away from it and you kind of feel like, man, that's not my best me. I feel like I become a different person around that person. I've had relationships like that before where I'm going, I, I don't want, I, I, sometimes here's what it is. It's people that you spent time with when you were younger, maybe not as smart, maybe more sinful seasons of your life, and you get around them and you find yourself kind of falling into the same character role that you used to play. I've, I've done that before and I've kind of gone, I don't, I don't want that. So I'm gonna lay that down and I'm gonna push that out of reach because that's not gonna help me run the race God's called me to race with Endurance. That's impactful, not just for me, but for the world around me. Maybe it's a, it's a thought pattern. Maybe something you're dealing with from your childhood or from a broken relationship or something, a thought pattern. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Somebody hurts you at some point in your life and you're carrying that around. It's weighing you down. You're trying to run this race and it's tripping you up and it's weighing you down, but you just, and God's saying, no, cast that care on me. Lay it down. Push it away. Get it out of reach. Because there's a race to run. And this race isn't just about you. It's about the world around you. We're running a race to win. So God wins. We're called to be light. We can't shroud ourselves in darkness and be light. So, okay. Bow your heads and close your eyes right here. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Is there a weight in your life? Is there a sin that you just need to, right now, say, Lord, I I give you that. I cast that care to you. I surrender that to you. I'm gonna push that away. Lord, I pray as as we examine ourselves and we listen to you, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us clearly. Help us to see we wanna run this race to win. Show us what we need to do. Show us what we need to change. We invite your your voice to speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Throw some stuff off. Here's number two. You gotta focus your attention on Jesus. If you're gonna run this race with endurance, we're talking about endurance, right? Say endurance. endurance. If you're gonna run with endurance, you gotta keep your eyes on the prize. Focus your attention on Jesus. Look back at verse two, Hebrews 12. We do this, what do we do? We, we, we run this race with endurance 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Okay, so, so it's, it's talking about looking at Jesus, right? Fixing our attention on Jesus. But then it immediately begins to talk about the work of the cross, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. That's what he did through the cross. He made it possible for us to, to walk in faith and have a relationship with God, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He had vision for you. That's what the joy that was set before him was. Despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse three. For consider him, or in other words, think about him. Think about what he did. Think about the cross. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So you need, to, you need to think about Jesus. Fix your attention on Jesus. See Jesus. And when I say that, I don't mean, you know, get a air freshener with Jesus' face on it and put it up in your car. I'm not, it's like the image of Jesus here. I'm talking about the cross. See, the cross speaks to us. The cross is a powerful message to me and you. First of all, the cross speaks to the love of God that he loved you enough. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, at your worst, Christ died for you. Jesus loved you at your absolute worst. We just read, for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. The joy that was set before him was you, having a relationship with you. So he loves you at your worst. He was willing to die for you on the cross. That's the love of God for you. That's what the cross says. The cross speaks to the power of God that you can experience in this life. The greatest act of power in human history was the resurrection of Jesus Christ at the cross. The Bible says that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you if you're a believer. So it speaks to the authority we can walk in and the power of God that can be in operation in our world that makes dead things come to life. Don't tell me something's dead in your life. Ain't nothing dead. Your dream ain't dead. Your future, your plan, God's plans for you ain't dead. Nothing's dead. As long as Jesus is sitting on the throne and he's gonna be sitting on the throne forever, you ain't, nothing, ain't, ain't nothing dead in your life. So it speaks to the power of God for you. It speaks to the relationship that you can have with God, a relationship that's, that's that of a family. Because of Jesus, you can be, God can be your father. Jesus can be your brother. Because you're born into the family of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It also speaks to the example that Jesus set for you. That Jesus was willing to lay down his life in the service of other people. And he calls us to that same kind of love for others. That we'd be willing to serve other people. To give of ourselves, To give of our time. To give of our talents. To give of our treasure. He gave it all for you. How can you hold something back from him? If you're focused on the cross, it makes it a lot harder to do that. That's why God wants you fixing your eyes, your attention on Jesus. See, I've discovered something in my life. I have stuff come against me just like anybody else. I have bad days. We have frustrating moments, have disappointments, letdowns, things like that. And sometimes those things, you know, you find yourself kind of just all upset and mad about it. But I've kind of noticed if I start to think about what Jesus did for me on the cross, (laughs) all of a sudden my thing doesn't feel that big, like that big of a deal. And my focus comes off of me and my attention goes to Jesus. And then it's funny too, is my attention goes to the world. It gets completely off of me and I start thinking about what he did for me and what he's done for everyone. 
See, the, the enemy wants to get you focused on yourself and he wants to get you focused on your circumstances. And so he's gonna throw whatever he can at you to get you that way, get you selfish and to get you staring at your, your circumstances. But God wants your attention on him, on the cross, on the work of Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about this this week, I felt like God kind of gave me a word and it was that some of us are stuck in a stare. You, you ever been stuck in a stare before? Like you're looking, but you're not looking. Like you kind of, like we call it in our home zoned out. You see when your kids and they're just going. And you have to like walk over and be like, hello. And then I remember doing this, like you're driving down the road with your parents or something, or maybe your spouse is driving and you're looking out the window and you're, you're looking, but you're not looking. And so you're, you pull up beside a car and you're kind of like looking. And then all of a sudden, like the person over here is driving and they're like, and when they look at you, you're like, oh, I, oh, but you weren't really looking at them. You were stuck in a stare. Some of us, listen, we get stuck in stares spiritually. We're in a stare stupor where we're kind of looking, but we're not looking. We're not seeing things. And because we don't, we don't have any vision to endure we don't want to endure stuff. I don't want to go work in a kid's classroom. That's not any fun for the next 45 minutes because I'm just looking at this from the perspective of being in a kid's classroom for the next 45 minutes instead of the eternal impact that I could be making in some kid's life. When I sit down to play Connect Four with this kid as a man who doesn't have a father in his life, We, we, don't, we don't see that we, we stand out here and we greet people as they come into the church and some of those people have had a really rough day, a really rough week and, and yet we put our hand and look them in the eye and maybe memorize their name like Greg Jeffries does. He writes down people's names. That's a guy who's not stuck in a stare. He's thinking about Jesus. He's looking at Jesus and he's taking what God's placed in front of him and he's using it. That's, that's the call of God. And when you're focused on Jesus, I'm telling you, that kind of stuff gets really easy. When our attention's on Jesus, when our attention's on the cross and what he was willing to do, see, here's the beautiful thing about what Jesus did for me and you. He calls us to focus on him. But the life that he lived for us, that's what he did for us. He came to this world and his goal was to run his race to please his father and his attention was fixed on you. That's what it said, right? For the joy that was set before him. Our, the joy that's set before us is one day standing before the Lord and him looking at us and going, well done. You did it. See those people? They're here because of you. We gotta endure church. We gotta have patience. We gotta be willing to fight through the hard times. God's got something for our church and he has something for you. He's got a suddenly. We're gonna step into a suddenly. Remember these moments, because it won't always be like this. It'll always be beautiful and the anointing and the presence of God will be here because we'll fight for that. We'll fight for that. But you won't always know half the church. There's a suddenly coming. 
don't quit on it. God's got a suddenly for you. Could be tomorrow that everything changes. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we sense your presence here tonight. We love you and we thank you for your, that you endured for us. God, what an incredible, incredible thing to try to wrap our minds around that you loved us. You were focused on us. You were looking and thinking about me. God, thank you, Jesus. We pray tonight that you would help us, Lord. We, we want to run our race well. And so, God, we pray tonight that you will capture our stare so that we can change our circumstances and change the circumstances of this world. Lord, use us in a powerful way to make a difference. Help us to snap out of it. If we're stuck in a stare, Lord, help us to break away from that, to look at the circumstances of this world with the heart of God, to see the things that break your heart, to see people like we've never seen them before. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about like you should. Maybe you would say tonight that, that you, maybe you've been around church, you've heard about Jesus, but maybe you feel like your relationship with God is not where it should be. You feel like God's kind of far from you. And you, there's something inside of you, there's something kind of tugging right now. It's the Holy Spirit, it's God. He's tugging at you saying, hey, isn't it time to change? Isn't it time to get this right? Jesus died for you because he loves you. He endured the cross for you because he loves you. And he has a better life for you. So if that's you tonight and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer and I just ask you to pray this prayer with me. And New Song Church, since we're all in agreement with what these guys are getting ready to do, let's all pray this prayer together. Say it loud and proud with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead so I could be raised to new life in you. Jesus, I give you my all. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. I give you my circumstances. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.